Hi, my name's Grant Fishbook, and I am honored to be the lead teaching pastor here at Christ the King Church in Bellingham, Washington. Thank you so much for choosing to access this online content today. We really hope you'll enjoy this message. One of our values here at Christ the King is biblical face-to-face -face community. And so while we are so excited that you joined us today online, I really want to encourage you. Make sure that this is never a replacement for face-to-face -face biblical community. Your story matters, you matter, and we want to see you get connected in a local church. Now, if you're here in our area, we would love to have you join us at any one of our five campuses. But if you find yourself outside of the Bellingham area, we really want you to get connected into a local church. So we hope and pray that that happens for you very, very soon. Powerful wind tore the mountains apart and shattered the rocks before the Lord. But the Lord was not in the wind. And after the wind, there was an earthquake. But the Lord was not in the earthquake. And after the earthquake came a fire. But the Lord was not in the fire. And after the fire came a gentle whisper. Well, good morning, sleep-in service. Good to see you. Glad that you guys are here. If I haven't met you before, my name is Grant. I've been gone for a couple of months on sabbatical. It's good to be back again with the family. Last weekend was great. We had an opportunity to ask ourselves a simple question. If the God of the universe showed up and interrupted our lives, put his hand in the center of our chest and said, stop, how would we react to that? We went to a place called Magdala. We had a, 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 an unpacked a story of a woman who came with an issue. And what we learned is that God has a very different position towards people with issues than we often think. And then, that God isn't the kind of a God who stands in front of us and says, you know, just stop it. But that there's a loving posture towards each one of us when we come with our issue and say, God, I just, I need you to help. So how do we respond when God says, stop? This week, we're going to ask a different question. We're going to go from Magdala to a place called Midian. We'll get there eventually as the message unfolds this morning. And I'm going to ask you to consider again, what would happen if the king of the universe showed up in your life today, interrupted you, put his hand in the center of your chest and said, look, look, I went for a run on Monday evening. I have a five-mile loop. It takes me from my house uh, out into uh, down Benson Road, out into the county. If I touch the Prairie Road sign and run back again, it's exactly five miles, two and a half miles out, two and a half miles back. As I make that loop, which I run on a very regular basis, on the right-hand side is a farm, and on that farm is a golden lab retriever puppy by the name of Leo. Leo loves Jesus. I know that he does. He's an encourager because he comes to the end of the driveway at no small cost. I think there's an invisible fence involved because he leaves the porch at a dead run. He heads for the driveway and about halfway out, he does this every single time. But he perseveres and he breaks through and he stands at the end of the driveway and his little tail just sends a message to me on a regular basis. It's like, you know, go Grant. Go Grant. I know you're old, but keep running, man. 52, got nothing on you, man. Just go. And he's such an encourager. And I love Leo. I love running past every time Leo comes out to encourage me. Just a little bit further down that road, before I reach the Pangborn Road on the left-hand side, 
is a small demonically possessed dog <laughs> by the name of Gino, okay? I know his name's Gino because his owners are often screaming his name. Gino, Gino, don't bite the man. Don't bite the man. Gino, Gino. And Gino is, Gino is a small black chihuahua. <laughs> True story. That is possessed by Satan himself. And you need, to, you need to pray against him because he's just, he's evil. I have tried to befriend Gino and love Gino and bond with Gino and Gino hates me. That's just the bottom line. I don't know if he hates everybody that runs by, but he desperately hates me. Okay, that's the backstory. Monday, I'm out for a run. Leo comes to say hi. Hi, Gino. Hi, Leo. I love you. You're amazing. Please, Lord, don't let Gino be outside. Gino is outside. He comes and he chases me down the road as he often does. I move to the opposite side of the road to let Gino know, I understand this is your road. I just want to borrow a few feet of it for a second as I run past your house and he is chasing me and I am doing a chihuahua dance down the Benson Road trying to not stomp Gino into the pavement and because my eyes are down and I'm not watching where I'm going, I turn to try and outrun Gino. I run smack into a mailbox. So to the Wegg family on the Benson Road, I am sorry if I did any damage to your uh, mailbox, but that's what happens. And you should still pray the demon out of Gino, please. <laughs> Family of God, help me out. Simple lesson to learn. Seems so profound. We learn this when we're little kids, right? Keep your head up. Keep your head up. Watch where you're going. Look up and be aware of what's happening around you. On my sabbatical, I had an opportunity to slow down just a little bit. And I read a book by Ruth Haley Barton called Strengthening the Soul of Your Leadership. That, that book to me was like a cold drink of water on a really, really hot day. Pastor Melanie, Pastor Wendy recommended it to me. I will be forever grateful for them giving me that book because God began to whisper a theme to me through the entire book about how easy it is to get just myopic. We put blinders on, we get looking down at our life and all of the things that are going around us and we completely ignore when the God of the universe says to his kids, look up, look up. I know some of you are just like, that's it, Grant? It's so simple. That's as deep as we're gonna go today? Yeah, and if it's that simple, we should be able to do it easily all day long, every single day. But I got a feeling for most of us, it's not quite as easy as we'd like to think that it is. As we always do at Christ the King, whenever a theme begins to emerge in our world, we take it to Scripture because Scripture is our final and complete authority. And so I went with this theme and began to look at this Scripture over and over and over again when that still small voice that you heard in the video begins to prompt us in a certain direction. And I began to learn that all through Scripture, God keeps asking His family to look. Just look. Here's a couple of examples. The Bible says, lift your eyes. Lift your eyes. It's a physical request. God wants you to actually change the physical trajectory of your eyes from down or level to an inclined plane because he knows it's going to give you an opportunity to see a more complete picture of who he is and his love for us. As I unpacked this theme, I began to notice something culturally across the board. We spend an inordinate amount of time looking down. We look down at our phones we look down at our circumstance. We look down at our family. We look down on our boss. I mean, we just have a natural tendency to look down. And it's hard for us when God says, actually, I need you to change that. Isaiah chapter 51, verse 6, lift up your eyes to the heavens. 
Look at the earth beneath. The heavens will vanish like smoke. Boy, we can relate to that today, can't we? The earth will wear out like a garment. Its inhabitants will die like flies, but my salvation will last forever. My righteousness will never fail. God makes a simple request. Look to the heavens. Look at the creation of God. Lift your eyes to the majesty and the glory of God. That's what we were doing in that last song, giving you an opportunity to lift your eyes in a dark room with no windows to be able to see the glory and the majesty of God's creation. We have to be able to do that because if we get stuck looking down at the broken of the world, there's a word for that. It's called discouraging. But when we lift our eyes, as God says, we're able to actually simply focus on the salvation and the rightness of who God is. Let's keep going. Isaiah chapter 40. Lift up your eyes, look to the heavens. Who created all of these? He who brings out the starry host one by one, calls forth each of them by name because of his great power and mighty strength. Not one of them is missing. So church, this is what God is saying to us today. Lift your eyes and look to the stars. And remember this, God named them. He knows them. He understands each one of their stories. If God's got a name for every single star, imagine how much more attention he's paying to you. Just wrap your head around that. God holds them together. He has established routes and plans and orbits. He's, he holds the entire universe together. Do you know that in our universe, there are moons and stars that could swallow up the earth hundreds upon hundreds of times. They're just so vast and so big, we can't even measure them. Even with all of our technology, we cannot measure even a quarter of the distance of the universe in the galaxy. It is that huge. It's that big. It's that monstrous to us. And to think that God can put all of that together, I got a question. If God can hold the universe together, how do you think he's going to do with your Monday? I thought that would get at least one amen from somebody (laughs) who was dreading going back to work tomorrow. Look up and see the greatness of God. I included a few other scriptures in your outline. Luke chapter 21 There's a plea. Jesus says, when the world is falling apart around you and you're wondering, where is God in all of this chaos? Lift your eyes because every time you lift your eyes, you register on something. You're one day closer to the day when Jesus is going to come back and put it all back together again. John chapter 4, the Bible says, open your eyes. The fields are ripe for harvest. It's a plea for the people of God to understand. Don't get focused on all of the brokenness around you. Understand that what that actually means is there's a greater hunger for the hope and the help of Jesus. And we've got the answer. But the answer doesn't register unless we're willing to look up. Here's another way that that's expressed in scripture. The Bible will use this word, behold. You probably have not used that in common conversation over the last couple of weeks, right? We hear the word behold, and it's kind of a, I get a picture in my mind of a cheesy magician on an old school television program, you know, and it's the biblical equivalent of ta-da, right? (laughs) That's what I've always kind of thought it was, but it's so much more than that. You know what it is? Every time you hear the word behold in scripture, it's God saying, look at that. Look at it. Here's a couple to encourage you. Genesis 28, behold, I am with you. It's God talking. Behold, I am with you. We'll keep you wherever you go. We'll bring you back to this land. I will not leave you until I've done what I've spoken to you. What's God revealing in in that little package right after behold? He's revealing his presence. And the same God that was in Genesis 
is the same God that's here with us today, is the same God that's going to be here in Revelation 21 when he puts all the pieces back together again. You don't get that perspective if you don't lift your eyes. Revelation 21, then he who sat on the throne said, behold, I am making all things new. What is God revealing after the behold? It's his restoration. It's his replenishment. It's his new creation. Let's add one more. It's just a simple one. The Bible says, look to the Lord. Look to the Lord. You know what I see our culture doing? We look to our news feed. How's that work for you first thing in the morning? Doesn't that just put you in such a beautiful frame of mind? God says, look to the Lord. And it's like we can't even help it. And it's true, right? There's something human inside of us. Like if I told you right now, okay, people, whatever you do, there's something going on up in the right corner of the, of the auditorium right now. I don't want you to look. Please keep your eyes on me. It's just you, seriously, I don't want you to look at all. What? There's something inside of you that's like, I have to look. I have to look. It drives us. You say, Grant, I don't believe you. I don't think that's right. Really? Have you ever been in a, have you ever gotten stuck in traffic on the I-5 because of an accident? Yes. Why is it everything going so slow? It's because we can't help but look. We have to see the bad stuff, even though we're just like, I don't know what I'm going to see. It's going to be so weird. There could be part of a person like, ah, I don't want to do that. But what are we doing? We slow down to 12 miles an hour so we can just soak it all in. I'm not advocating avoidance or denial. We have to live in the world that we currently find ourselves, but I'm advocating God's wisdom from 1 Chronicles 16, Psalm 105. They are exactly the same verses in two parts of Scripture. It says, look to the Lord and His strength. Seek His face always. I know some of you, you're just like... I needed some meat today, Grant. I needed some theological substance and all you're giving me is look up. Yeah. And if it's so easy, you should have no problem doing it all week long. Why is God repeatedly, lovingly coming to us and saying, lift your eyes? Let me give you some reasons. Number one, it changes our perspective. When I have my eyes and my mind set on things above, it helps everything down here come into perspective. When I am fixing my eyes on today, my perspective is skewed in the wrong direction. That's why scripture keeps imploring me to lift my eyes to the future. Can I tell you something? I read the last chapter of Revelation again this week in my quiet time. At the end of the book, Jesus wins. It's really good news for those of us that follow Jesus. That's a really, really good thing. But I'll tell you what, that takes my eyes off of today and gets it out on the future, which means I've got a purpose and a plan that I need to live out because I want to be there on that day. The Bible says to fix our eyes on Jesus, the author, perfecter of our faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross, scorning its shame. If you look down, I mean, think about it. Anytime somebody is embarrassed or ashamed, what do they do? They put their head down. You know why that is? It's because the world loves to take our shame, put it in front of our face and say, shame on you. Here's the beauty of scripture. Jesus comes to us, says, you're not defined by what you did. You're defined by who I say you are. The world says shame on you. Jesus says shame off you. Hmm. When I look up into the face of the one who saved me, it changes my perspective. Secondly, it helps us see a bigger picture. You know, when I lift my eyes, I'm keenly aware that the God of the universe is up to something so much bigger than I could 
ask or even imagine. I can't get there for, to, from my low vantage point. Years ago, we got invited to a dinner at the home of Bill and Renee Bliss. They're just a couple who comes to CTK, usually sit right over there on Sunday mornings. Bill and Renee said, we want you to meet a pastor from Thailand. We had actually met Pastor Nock before. Nock is his, is his nickname. A lot of Thai people have a nickname. And so we met Nock and we, we'd met him before. We'd heard about his work in Thailand, but, but we were invited to go to dinner and we ended up sitting at the table with Nock. And I, I learned something again. Jesus never just does dinner. There's always something bigger going on. So we began to talk with Nock. We began to hear his, his passion for seeing the entire face of Thailand be changed. And, and, and then that began to grow and, and a, a friendship became a relationship and a relationship became a ministry partnership. And we began to see God do incredible things. And earlier this year, Christ the King Church Bellingham blew my mind with your generosity towards our missions offering. We have never received a missions offering like we did earlier this year. You, you caused a problem for me because we had to find places to give stuff away. Thank you. But you gave the first part of a church planting mission. We wanted to plant 250 churches in the Pechabun province, which is an area where, where the fields are ripe unto harvest. And so you gave $75,000. And if you're on my Facebook feed, you saw me post. When I came back from my sabbatical, one of the first things I saw was a piece of paper from Reach a Village, which is the ministry that we're working with, confirming that the 75000 that you gave was matched by an anonymous donor so that we were able to not release seventy-five, but 150000 U.S. dollars into church planting. And what I need you to know is this. What we thought they could accomplish, they have exceeded. They're planting churches not weekly, but daily because they serve the God of exceedingly abundantly above all we could ask or even imagine. There's a lot of reasons why we could look down and say a church in Bellingham can't do anything to touch the nation of Thailand. Oh yeah, says who? Our God says different, but we got to look up to see what God's up to. Thirdly, when God says lift our eyes, it's to help us find our size. You know, most people look to the heavens and they feel small, but there's a different response available to God's people if they choose it. I love this passage of scripture. Jesus is talking to the 12 guys that he picked to turn the world upside down, and they're a little discouraged. They're feeling a little small. How in the world are we going to pull off global domination when it's just the 12 of us, and we're a pretty dysfunctional little group? I mean, we've already lost one guy right? Lost the treasurer of the group. Judas is gone. Now it's 11 of us. We'll probably have to replace him. And how in the world are we going to do this? And Jesus is having a conversation with them. And in the midst of them feeling small, he does the most incredible thing. He's like, hey guys, can you do me a favor? Just stop for a second. You see that tree over there? You see the branch? Third one down from the top. You see that little brown bird up there? Just look. That's a passer domesticus for those who like Latin. It's a sparrow. More sparrows in the world than any other kind of bird. Tiny, insignificant. They're not a glorious eagle. They're not a raptor. They're not a hawk. They're just a little, tiny, insignificant brown sparrow. And God says to his group, if the God of the universe can clothe that little bird, feed that little bird, and protect that little bird today, how much more do you think he would want to do for someone who carries with them the thumbprint of God in the center of their soul? 
If God can take care of that little bird, how much more do you think he can take care of your Monday and your Tuesday and your Wednesday and your Thursday? It helps us find our size. When you lift your eyes to a big God, you don't feel small, you feel loved. Let's keep going. One more. When we lift our eyes, it allows us to turn aside and look at a possible encounter with God. This is where we're going to run to Midian. Last week we were in Magdala. This week we're going to be in Midian. I gave you the backstory of my encounter with Gino earlier in the day. Let me give you the backstory of a guy by the name of Moses, even though we have run into him on multiple occasions as we've walked through the book of Genesis over the past couple summers. Moses didn't fit anywhere. Maybe you can relate. Moses was born as a Hebrew baby into a culture where Hebrew babies were being slaughtered because of tension between Israel and Egypt. It's a famous story in Exodus. You should read it sometimes. It's fantastic. Moses is born into that. He's a Hebrew, but because he's threatened, his his family sticks him in a small little basket, floats him down a river. He gets picked up by an Egyptian princess and is actually raised as an Egyptian, even though he's a Hebrew person. And you can imagine that would probably mess up your family of origin issues just a little bit, right? So he finds himself balancing back and forth between a world of slavery, which all the Israelites are a part of, and and the Egyptian palace where he's being raised, and this tension is unresolved in his life. He's caught between two worlds, and one day an issue gets forced because Moses is walking along and he sees an Egyptian slave driver beating to the point of death one of his Hebrew brothers, and something inside of him wells up, and he gets angry, and and an anger issue that's going to plague him for the rest of his life comes to the forefront, and he actually murders the Egyptian slave driver. And then he does what a lot of people do. He runs. And he spends years in exile in a place called Midian. He gets a, a job as a shepherd. He's just working with sheep, minding his own business. He's alone. He's isolated. He's battling with God for his own soul. And he's just trying to keep his head down. He's just got his eyes focused on what's in front of him. It's just sheep and wilderness and bushes. That's the backstory. And then this happens in Exodus chapter 3. Now Moses was tending the flock of Jethro, his father-in-law, the priest of Midian. And he led the flock to the far side of the wilderness, came to Horeb, the mountain of God. There the angel of the Lord appeared to him in flames of fire from within a bush. Moses saw that though the bush was on fire, it did not burn up. Quick side note, burning bushes are not unusual in Israel. There's sagebrushes all over the place. They get piled up in, in large stacks because the wind just blows them into a place. And you will see shepherds walking around with a torch in Israel and they just light one of them on fire and it's like, poof, they're gone because they're so dry. They'd rather extinguish them and get rid of them than have their sheep get tangled up inside of them because it's not fun to try and extract a sheep from a bush. So they just light them on fire. It's like, poof, they're gone. Here's what captivates Moses. There's one of those bushes that should have gone, poof, and it doesn't. It just keeps burning. That's unusual. What in the world is that over there? He'd never seen a bush that didn't just poof. So he goes and he investigates. And in verse number three, the Bible says this. So Moses thought, I will go over and see this strange sight, 
why the bush does not burn up. The next phrase in your Bible, underline it, circle it, put great big square boxes around it so you come back to it all this week. Verse number four is so transformative, even though it's so unbelievably simple. It says, when the Lord saw that he had gone over to look. When God sees that you're wise enough to stop looking at the life that you have around you and you actually lift your eyes. When God sees that you have the faith to to divert your eyes from the circumstance you find yourself in right now and look towards his face. When God sees that you've got the faith to pry your eyes away from that horrible thing that's right in front of you. When God sees that, something incredible is about to happen. When the Lord saw that he'd gone over to look, then God called to him from the bush. There's something beautiful about having the discipline to turn aside and look to what God's doing. God called to him from within the bush, Moses, Moses, Moses said, here I am. Do not come any closer, God said. Take off your sandals for the place where you're standing is holy ground. When Moses looked, God met him. That's a clue. When you look, God will meet you. But you have to be disciplined enough to shift your eyes and look. Elizabeth Barrett Browning wrote this famous poem. Earth is crammed with heaven, every common bush afire with God, but only he who sees takes off his shoes. The rest just sit around it and pluck blackberries. How many of us have a manifestation of God? God's up to something right in the center of us. I mean, our world in this that this little point is on fire and our response is, I think I'm just going to sit here and pluck a blackberry because it's just really easy to look at the blackberry. And we completely ignore that God is lighting something up right in front of us. So practically, I'm blessed with an office up here on the second floor. My computer screen is uh, against a wall. So I spend a lot of the day looking at the wall because my screen is right in front of it. And I found myself this week with a series of emails, all of which were unbelievably important because they're attached to some of you and some of your stories and some of your lives. And I'm always so unbelievably honored when someone will share just a little piece of their story with me so that I can pray, encourage, or connect them to somebody else who may be able to help. And I'm looking at this this piece of work that's in front of me, piling up in my screen. And there's a little sound that comes every time there's a new email and there's, yeah, as I'm standing there, ding, ding, and another one, and I'm twitching a little bit, ding. I've been off for a little while. I haven't had that ding going on in a really long time. And I hear this small voice whisper, look to the left. Just look to the left. Look to the left and look up just a little bit. Come on, Grant, right now, just look to the left. Look to the left and look up. Look to the left and look up. And we often, all of us, right, we get so busy with what's in front of us that we don't even feel the small prompts. Do you know what happens? Um, To my left, when I'm standing looking at my screen, there's a window. And out that window, even though I have to look around, 
some very tall trees, and even though I have to look over top of a storage solutions building across the street, even though I have to look just right to get it, there's something just outside of my window that I often forget is there. It's called a mountain. (laughs) And it's huge. And this week, when there was no smoke in the way, it was capped with this beautiful snow drape over the top of it. And it reminded me that I serve a God who makes mountains by rolling them between his fingers and dropping them wherever he wants them to be. And if my God, the king of the universe, can make that mountain, imagine what he can do if I would allow him to slay my email box. (laughs) You gotta look. You have to look, parents. Boy, you spend a lot of your life looking down, and you should, right? Where are the children? Where did they go? Who are they holding hostage? (laughs) Did they have a sharp metal object in their hand when they left? I mean, you should be looking down on a regular basis. My question to you parents is this. When was the last time you looked at your child, saw the image of God reflected in their eyes, and immediately you looked up to thank God for the gift that they are to you? We just get stuck. It's all like this. You know, I hear this often from people. I want to hear God. I got a question. When are you quiet enough to listen? Grant, I want to see God. I got a question. Where are you looking? Grant, I want to know God. I got a question. Where in your calendar would I find even a crack big enough for you to have a conversation with him? The Bible just says, Look up. So let's make it personal. Y'all got stuff coming this week, boy, don't you? Lots of decisions to make. Are you going to read this news article? Are you going to attend this class, finish this project, interact with this blog, watch this person, meet this person, meet that person, busy, 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 lots of different kinds of things. Where is there margin enough in your life to hear the voice when it just says, look? I think learning to simply pay attention to what God is doing may be the most difficult human endeavor for American Christians because we're just so consumed with what's right down there in front of us. Let me give you a practical example. I I walked over across the street a day last week. There are cedar trees in the corner of our parking lot. Some of you are like, are there cedar trees in the corner of our parking lot? Yeah, they're huge. They are monstrous. I've walked under those trees for almost 20 years. We've been in this location for a long time. I walked underneath of them and I felt it again. Look up. You know what I saw? If my God could make a tree like that, why would I question whether or not he could put a canopy of grace and forgiveness over top of me this week. So if you want to know what I was doing on Tuesday, standing underneath the cedar trees, I was having a Jesus moment. Mind your own business. (laughs) And if I'm there next time, you can come and join me. We'll just stare up together. It's just so simple. Why would we do it? Why wouldn't we if we knew there was an encounter with God waiting for us? So, 
couple more thoughts. The ground wasn't holy because Moses was there. The ground wasn't holy because there was a bush on fire and it didn't burn. The ground was holy because God was there. And that same God is here today, right now, pleading with his children, lift your eyes. Behold, look to him. So I'm going to give you some practical instruction. One of the questions that I ask as a pastor all of the time is simply this. God, how far did the message make it into the parking lot this week? Sometimes I wonder, did did it even make it to the corner of Bakerview and Meridian? Because I know that's a place, if you're going to lose your salvation on the way home, that's where it's going to (laughs) happen. God, God, did it it even make it off of the parking lot? So here's what I'm going to ask you to do today. I know this seems so unbelievably simple and remedial. Just let's just see whether or not we can be biblical. In a few moments, we're going to pray. We're going to leave. And some of you are going to go grab your kids. Some of you are going to gather your family. You're going to walk out the front doors. I have a simple request from you that is biblical in its nature. Before you get to your car, look up. People have been bumping into each other in the parking lot all day. It's fantastic. (laughs) Just look up. You're like, Grant, it's smoky outside. There's nothing to see. Indulge me, okay? Look at my cedar trees. Just look up. Be biblical and see whether or not you don't encounter God in some way. I give you permission if you're here with somebody and you forget I give you permission to elbow each other and go, let's just stop. (laughs) Will heaven fall in that moment? Will you be transformed in that moment? No, but you will be being obedient. And if we could just learn to do the small things, I wonder if then God would open the door to the great things he has for his children. So we're going to bring this in for a landing years and years and years ago, centuries ago, a very wise Israeli king wrote a song to Christ the King Church that he wanted read at this particular date, at this particular time, because it's the response that all of us should have. So would you stand with me as I read the holy word of God over you before you go? King David said to the people of Christ the King, I lift up my eyes to the mountains. Where does my help come from? My help comes from the Lord, the maker of heaven and earth. He will not let your foot slip. Church, he will not let your foot slip. He who watches over you will never slumber. Indeed, he who watches over Israel will neither slumber nor sleep. The Lord watches over you. The Lord is your shade at your right hand. And you might need shade according to the weather forecast this week. The sun will not harm you by day nor the moon by night. The Lord will keep you from all harm. He will watch over your life. The Lord will watch over your coming and going both now and forevermore. Why would we not look to him when the word of God just said, if you want to know what God is looking at right now, he's looking at you. So why not meet his gaze? Lift your eyes and see whether or not your heart begins to swell with the simple fact that if God can make this beautiful earth, what could he possibly do with my Monday through Saturday? Would you pray with me? God, give us the discipline to look up. May we not trivialize this beautiful command of Scripture. 
May we not overlook it in its simplicity. Instead, may we simply be obedient today to walk out and look up. God, for those who are blessed to take a walk this afternoon, may their gaze not be down, but be up. For those who need to go and deal with a burning bush situation, God, may their eyes be up. Lord, we look to the sun today. We thank you for the good grace to be obedient to your word. We pray these things in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, and all God's people said. Amen. amen and amen. Thanks again for watching. We're so glad that you joined us today. Once again, we hope you'll get involved in biblical face-to-face -face community wherever you happen to be today. If you'd like more information about Christ the King Community Church, if you'd like to give online, or if you'd like to submit a prayer request, or even get connected in a small group, you can find out more about us at ctk.church.